Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You should find out more by visiting their website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Keith Flaw. He's the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, doing a lot of great work with regard to public education policy here in Florida. We'll visit with Michael Cannon. He's the director of healthcare policy studies at the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Dr. George Markovich, orthopedic surgeon. He replaced both of my knees in 2006. I'm still ambulatory and <laughs> getting around, so I'm very grateful to him. And Bill Barnett, former uh, mayor of Naples, will be joining us as well. It is September the 3rd, and on this day in 1783, the American Revolution officially came to an end when representatives of the United States, Great Britain, Spain and France signed the Treaty of Paris. The signing signified America's status as a free nation as Britain formally recognized the independence of its 13 former American colonies and the boundaries of the new republic were agreed upon, Florida north to the Great Lakes and the Atlantic coast west to the Mississippi River. In September uh, 1782, Benjamin Franklin, along with John Adams and John Jay, began official peace negotiations with the British. During the talks, Franklin demanded that Britain hand over Canada to the United States. This didn't come to pass, but America did gain enough new territory south of the Canadian border to double its size. The United States also successfully negotiated for an important fishing right in the Canadian waters and agreed, among other things, not to prevent British creditors from attempting to recover debts owed to them. Two months later, the key details had been hammered out, and on November the 30th, 1782, the United States and Britain signed the preliminary articles of the treaty. France signed with its own preliminary peace agreement with Britain on January the 20th, 1783, and then in September of that year, the final treaty was signed by all three nations and Spain. The Treaty of Paris was ratified by the Continental Congress on January the 14th, 1784. So that's how it all ended, Treaty of Paris. Well, just 23 new cases of COVID-19 and three additional deaths in Collier County on Wednesday. The three deaths were a 72-year-old woman, an 82-year-old man, and a 91-year-old woman. Now, remember, these are with COVID-19, not necessarily because of, and I suspect that there's other causes, what we call comorbidities. Uh, Wednesday, there were 44 COVID-19 patients in Collier County hospitals. Uh, they had 17.1% uh, of its total hospital beds available and 30% of the adult ICU beds available. So the curve is flattened, and uh, we're grateful for it. Now, the World Health Organization strongly recommends steroid medications to treat severe cases of coronavirus. Doctors said it could be a game changer in the fight against COVID-19 because the steroids are widely available and fairly cheap. The drugs help reduce inflammation and relieve pain, but they're not recommended for mild cases of the virus. Of course, the CDC also reported that 6% of the COVID-19 deaths were caused by COVID-19 alone. The others had an average of two to three other comorbidities. Uh, further, there have been a high percentage of false positives in the testing, right? So uh, this raises suspicion around all the numbers that we've been receiving. The Democrats' entire political strategy on the seriousness of the coronavirus is they're very dependent on this, and they can blame President Trump and also argue for the mail-in voting in the hopes of, well, somehow affecting the election results. Now, our Collier County commissioners are meeting today to discuss, I believe it's today, to discuss the continuation of the mask mandate. My um, hope well, I think they'll probably continue it and probably say, well, you know, the mass did some good. We've seen these numbers drop, so let's let's continue. My hope is they would say, you know what, now let's just depend on our citizens to make good decisions. We just encourage you to use masks if you're in a group or you're going to be around somebody for more than 15 minutes. We encourage you to wash your hands and these other things. But please, please be careful. The health of our community depends on it. That, I think, would be a more effective message, and I think it would also probably find create more compliance than we've seen when the rule was in effect. And by the way, Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts, 
On Tuesday, survived a heated primary battle against challenger Representative Joe Kennedy III. Joe was backed by the privileged Nancy Pelosi. Just raises the question about whether she's losing her influence and whether uh, the Kennedy family is losing its foothold in the state of Massachusetts. A defiant House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Wednesday claimed she was set up at a, and a hair salon in San Francisco owes her an apology after she was revealed the California Democrat visited the business despite local ordinances keeping salons closed amid the coronavirus pandemic. The uh, salon owner said, I've been fighting for six months for a business that told me, uh, took me 12 years to build and to reopen, she said. I'm a single mom, I have two small children, and I have no income. She added the fact that this, they did this, that she came in, in, the, in like a slap in the face, she said. She was on Tucker Carlson shows last night, very, very just a soft-spoken, calm woman. But she really feels like, you know, here, I'm about to lose my business. I'm going to have to move out of San Francisco as a consequence of all this. Nancy Pelosi wants an apology. How out of touch is that? It's unbelievable. Meantime, President uh, Donald Trump weighed in, blasting the speaker for con- constantly lecturing everyone else on COVID-19 guidelines when she herself comes in, breaks the rules for the city of San Francisco without wearing a mask. It's just uh, hypocrisy at its worst. Well, an Antifa le- a leader known as Commander Red was busted carrying a flamethrower to a Wisconsin Black Lives Matter rally and dropped into a fetal position and began crying when stopped by the cops. Matthew Banda, he's 23 years of age, is known to be a violent Antifa member who incites violence in otherwise relatively peaceful protests, a criminal complaint in his Green Bay arrest record showed. He was carrying stickers and a flag for the controversial group. The name is short for anti-fascist, along with military-grade five-minute smoke grenades, firework rockets, and a flamethrower. So this is what he had on him when he was arrested and when he started crying. Banner was stopped after being spotted with a whole bunch of white people with sticks, baseball bats, and helmets heading towards a Black Lives Movement event in Green Bay, the criminal complaint said. The others fled when a cop blocked them with his squad car, but Banda was stopped and dropped into his fetal position and began crying, the police report said. He complained that the officer got on top of him, which the police denied. Now, get this. At the time of the Saturday arrest, Banta was out on a $10,000 cash bond after being accused of pointing a loaded gun at a police officer. How come he's free? How come he's not in jail? Why is he out on a cash bond? He also was biting and kicking a cop in the protest earlier in the month. A condition of his bond was that he can't have a dangerous weapon, according to the Brown County District Attorney's Office. The 23-year-old from Nina Uh, about 40 miles south of Green Bay, was charged with obstructing an officer and two counts of felony bail jumping after Saturday's arrest. The report said he was released late Monday, get this, for a $2,500 bond, a court record show. So to me, it's just the lack of enforcement of the rules of the law. These people are getting out on cash bonds and going out and committing more violence. He's one of 15 arrested at Saturday Black Lives Matter protests that turned violent in a city that was deemed an unlawful assembly, police said. Burning buildings, hurting people, shooting, looting, vandalizing, that's criminal behavior, insisted. He should be in jail. And I think if a lot of these people went to jail on the very first crime that they've committed, spent some time there, they'd understand. They'd probably better go to Portland or some other place where they don't enforce the law. Well, a Black Lives Matter mob protested outside D.C. Mayor Mary Bowser's, Muriel Bowser's home after the fatal officer was shot on of uh, DNK. The protesters were chanting, if we don't get, don't get no justice, you don't get no sleep. <laughs> if we don't get it, it burn, burn it down. At approximately 3.51 p.m. on Wednesday, uniformed police officers responded to a call to investigate a man in a vehicle with a gun. When they arrived, they found four people in the vehicle. Two of them fled, including Kay. During the chase, Kay brandished a firearm. At at this point, the officer fired one single shot, hitting Kay. The suspect was transported to the hospital, but it was all unsuccessfully died. Uh, but uh, many more details about the incident were known. The Black Lives Matter mob had gathered in D.C. and they held their uh, p- 
public tantrum there before a little while and before a group decided to go protest at Muriel Browser's home. Well, good for her. Maybe she'll move to like the mayor of uh, Portland. They said they're going to be back at 6 o'clock in the morning to continue. So, uh, again, here are people that don't enforce the law. And what happens, you see criminal behavior in Washington, D.C., of all places. Finally, President Trump signed a memo that initiates a process to defund large cities that permit anarchy. On Wednesday, the president signed a five-page memo that orders cabinet agencies to examine funds to multiple metropolitan areas, including Seattle, Portland, Washington, D.C., and New York. Now, American taxpayers who fund the great programs that our cities rely on to deserve to, deserve to be protected by their local city officials, we are taking action by exploring all options, says the president, to ensure federal resources flowing to lawless cities aren't being squandered. The lack of law and order surrounding these riots and the response from local leadership is a uh, dereliction of duty, said the president. Our men and women in blue cannot be handcuffed by local leadership in their efforts to respond to riots and protect their fellow citizens. Uh, that is just so true, and I'm so glad the president is taking this action. More than likely, it won't be enforced. Uh, it, it'll be challenged in court. But I think it's the right action. It's the right message right now to these cities who won't enforce the law. Time and again, that's what we're seeing. The law exists, just not being enforced. It's a shame. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with Keith Flaw. He's the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. The segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. We're going to have more on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. I encourage you to visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Get some tickets when you do, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, I'm going to be visiting with Michael Cannon, the Director of Healthcare Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us Keith Flaw, as I mentioned before the break. He's uh, the co-founder of a terrific organization. It's called the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Uh, Tell us uh, about the uh, Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, we're a grassroots coalition of uh, now well over 70,000 people and 100 different groups across the state. And we focus on uh, improving our K-12 education system. Um, We are strong advocates for uh, school choice, and we are fighting to get rid of the the indoctrination, and that includes the, so- the kids being taught that socialism is uh, the only way forward, and also uh, get rid of the pornography that's in our school system. Yeah, which is hard to believe, <laughs> but it certainly is, and there's proof positive of that. And uh, Keith, I just really admire the work that you do. I happen to be one of the founding members of the organization, and so proud of it, because you've really gained a foothold in the Florida legislature, as well as the administration and the governor, and uh, having great results over turning uh, Common Core and just a number of other issues. Uh, so I'm wondering, if uh, have you had any feedback on how school opening is going? Uh, anecdotally, uh, we're getting uh, parents actually sending us content uh, that's in the, that uh, their kids are getting um, in, in the school systems. Uh, you know, t- t- teaching our kids, um, again, socialism, uh. um, actually attacking um, uh, questionnaires that include um, uh, undermining the current president. If you were president, uh, what, what are the kinds of things you, that you would be doing um, to fifth graders? So uh, we're getting some of that kind of contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other thing that I've heard in talking to um, my contacts at the Department of Education is that we have now well over 800,000 students back in uh, bricks and mortar schools. Good. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, it's going well. Um, so. Yeah, um, I, I don't have anything other sp- uh, specific that I've heard. Well, it's only been a couple of days, so thank you for the feedback. It's very valuable. I also understand that uh, there's been about a stay on the court order uh, to overturn uh, the uh, commissioner, education commissioner's uh, ruling on opening schools. That's correct. The original uh, circuit court judge um, ruled that the, that the, that the uh, order was unconstitutional, and because it was a government agency, uh, there was an automatic stay put in place, which several days after that, uh, he removed that stay. Uh, And then uh, within 24 hours, the the, uh, uh, Court of Appeals in Florida overturned the judge and reinstated the stay. So, um, you know, it's still going to go to the, the, the full case will go to the Court of Appeals, but I understand, and I haven't read it, but I've I've been, uh, understand that the language that the appeals court used to overturn the judge uh, was pretty strongly worded about it. I mean, you kind of screwed up here. So. <laughs> yeah, so well, the, <laughs> the point being is that right now kids have to go to the, the brick-and-mortar yeah. schools have to be open, and that's a good thing. Right. So, right. Uh, Keith, you've been extremely active in uh, local uh, affairs as well, and the Collier County Commissioners are meeting today to see if we should continue this mask mandate. Any thoughts? Yeah, I have two. I'm planning on testifying. Uh, number one is, uh, rather than continuing to violate our First Amendment rights, why don't they do something to actually protect lives? Um, use some of their CARES money that they got to go buy hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. So there's a, a, a supply. It's very low cost. And then put on their website, do, uh, do a, resolution, a resolution supporting its use, and then put on their website a list of those doctors locally who are willing to prescribe it. And uh, the... Uh, um, uh, pharmacies that are willing to fulfill it. So that's uh, that's doing something positive and doing certainly doing no harm. And if you look at all the evidence, uh, it's just amazing that yeah. the big pharma has been able to shut down and threaten doctors from prescri- prescribing it. Absolutely, I, that's that's a, I think that's a great message. And how about the mass? I mean, uh, we, the, the, if they vote to continue it, my guess is they'll say, "Well, it's working. Look, we're seeing less cases now." Yeah. Yeah, I, su- I suspect they will. But the other interesting thing that's going to happen today is uh, there's a lawsuit uh, filed against them for violating our First Amendment rights. And, and part of the agenda is for them to vote uh, to, to allow you and I, the taxpayer, to pay the 
the uh, court costs, the, the legal fees. Uh, it was a personal lawsuit filed against the three, you know, Taylor, Solis, and Saunders, and they're going to vote to spend uh, your and my tax dollars to defend them against the, the, a violation of our First Amendment rights. Hmm. My thought is, since they're going to benefit personally uh, from that, uh, they should be forced to re- recuse themselves from voting, because they, they personally benefit from, from voting to use our yeah. tax dollars. And then uh, that would leave it to just the two uh, to decide whether the the three get to benefit from the use of our tax dollars. Interesting, Keith. Well, uh, thank you for <laughs> being there today. I appreciate your being vocal about this. As I mentioned earlier on the show, I would really appreciate it if the commissioners will say, look, we're not going to continue the mass mandate. We're just asking all of our citizens to be very responsible and, and look out for the health of others. So please wear a mask if you're going to be around other people and uh, wash your hands and do those things. But we're going to trust you to be good citizens and make good decisions. That, I think, would be much more. I would guess we'll probably have more compliance with the mask mandate. Yeah, I, I would agree. And uh, I hope they do that. Uh, I'm suspecting they're going to double down, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So, Keith, uh, before I let you go, I know you've got a couple of great events coming up. Uh, one is the uh, uh, debate between the two candidates for uh, Congress of uh, District 19 and, and also an event with uh, Denise D'Souza. Right. Uh, we're doing the, on, uh, on uh, September 23rd at the Greek Orthodox Church, the, f- the flyer and the invitation will go out today. It'll be a live um, uh, um, event, debate between the two candidates, Byron Donaldson and Cindy Banyai. Um And that'll be on the 23rd at the Greek Orthodox Church. It, we're limited to 100 people, and people are going to have to sign a, uh, a, a waiver, a COVID waiver release. But um, uh, we'll also live stream that. And then on October 7th, uh, we're bringing D'Souza in to see the table, uh, Alfie Oaks location. And uh, we sold that event out in four days. So, wow. So, uh, so uh, we, can you stream that? I would love to be able to participate. We're asking uh, if we can stream it. Um, uh, we had to get special permission just to tape it from D'Souza. So we're, we've got a request in to stream it. And if he'll let us, sure, we'll do that. All right, fantastic. Again, if you got another, if you got another minute, I'd, uh, I have one other thing I'd like to mention. Yes, go ahead. Uh, we have uh, kicked off, uh, two weeks ago, we kicked off a Liberty Challenge, which is a fundraising mechanism for us. Uh, you know, none of us take a salary. 100% of what people donate go to expenses extending our reach with parents. Uh, we, our goal is to raise $100,000. As of yesterday, we're at 62000 Great. Um, and uh, we have, in, in addition to that 62000 we have two donors who have put up 15000 for matching grants. So if we can match their fifteen, we'll actually come pretty close to reaching our goal. So we're encouraging people to go on our website. It's right on the front page. And any amount you donate, uh, will be a big help towards us reaching that goal and continuing the fight for the liberty of our children. Absolutely. It's goflca.com. Goflca.com is the website. A lot of great information there, by the way. But when you go there, please do make that donation of any amount. It's to help a great organization getting great results. Keith, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Buck. Have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you. Uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Michael Cannon, the Director of Healthcare Policy at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. 
Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board, creating policies and programs, among other things, to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. Great organization. I just sat in a board meeting just the other day, and I'm just very proud to uh, see the great work that they're doing. They did a pivot with the... uh, pandemic that came along and had just focused on some things that really got great results. So visit the website, thefga.org, uh, thefga.org. The Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dr. George Markovich. He is an orthopedic surgeon that replaced both of my knees in 2006. Always appreciate his commentary about health care uh, from the trenches. Well, the schedule has been set up for the 2020 presidential elections and uh, the debates, let's see, vice president debates also will have been set up as well. So the uh, first debate is going to be uh, on September the 29th in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, run, and their running mates, uh, Vice President Mike Pence and uh, Kamala Harris, will face off on October the 7th in Salt Lake City. It'll be very, very interesting. They have set up three debates and uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Oh, well, President Trump on Tuesday got a close look at the damage caused by recent riots and looting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He toured the property damaged by the violence, blasting anti-American riots and promising to help devastated businesses rebuild. The president announced a $1 million to Kenosha law enforcement so you have extra money to get out there and do what you have to do. And he also announced a $4 million got grant to support local businesses affected by the violence and 42 million to support public safety statewide including support for law enforcement and prosecutors we're going to get it fixed up and we're going to help people rebuild their businesses in kenosha we're getting it straightened out trump told reporters as he began the trip so this is i think it's just a very effective trip of course the democrats as well as the governor uh, suggested that he not attend and he not go there, but uh, he did, and uh, he brought along Attorney General William Barr and Acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf also went. He spoke with members of law enforcement as he visited the site, as well as six people who reported lost their businesses during the riots. Trump visit was also met by protesters with a large group raising their middle fingers at the, as the president, as the motorcade passed by. <laughs> that's that's great. Uh, President uh, Trump also hailed the deployment of the National Guard, which he called for as turning the point in stemming the chaos. So in other words, the president called up the National Guard and the looting and all that stopped. The president has repeatedly warned that the unrest occurring in Democrat-run cities will only intensify if Biden Biden's elected in November. So uh, Biden went to Pittsburgh on uh, Tuesday. I don't know if you saw that performance, but it was... Uh, I, he seemed he was trying to be passionate. He looked like a dawdling old man, unfortunately. He took an aim at Trump, ask, asking, "Does anyone believe there will be less violence in America if Donald Trump is reelected?" Well, I certainly do. 
I think the problem happens to be the mayors and the governors in uh, blue states where they're just not enforcing the law. He charged that the president long ago forfeited any moral leadership in this country. He can't stop the violence because for years he has fomented it. Fires are burning and we've had a president who fans the flames rather than fighting the flames. That from a candidate, former Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, he's on his way to Kenosha today. He plans to visit uh, the guy, what was his name? He, uh, I've forgotten now, but he respected the guy that uh, ended up getting paralyzed because of the shots in, the, in, in his uh, back. Uh, this is all what caused all the violence. This guy happens to be a, a criminal. He's, <laughs> he's participated in criminal behavior, but uh, nevertheless, uh, Biden is on his way to Kenosha. So we'll see how this all turns out. Uh, by the way, Kenosha police have 175 people arrested since starting the riots. 102 live elsewhere in 44 other cities. Nothing like a little extra help. Unfortunately, uh, uh, he uh, ratings for the NBA has dropped significantly as the professional sports league becomes increasingly woke. So I got a phone call right now. I suspect it's uh, Dr. George Markovich. So we're going to be talking with Dr. Markovich uh, in just a moment. He happens to be my orthopedic surgeon. He replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I'm so grateful for it. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I just want to do a little shout out to uh, to Lulabee's Diner there in the Green Tree Shopping Center. They're big supporters of St. Matthew's House. And St. Matthew's House does great work here on the Paradise Coast. Lulabee's Diner is a great place to have breakfast or lunch. And they do going some renovation right now. So I just encourage you to support them by dropping by and Saying hello to Jerry and uh, have a great breakfast or lunch at Lulubee's Diner at Green Tree uh, Shopping Center. Uh, we have with us Dr. George Markovich. He's my orthopedic surgeon, as I mentioned before the break. Uh, he does terrific work. Dr. Markovich, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Markovich. So I wanted to ask you about uh, your practice and how things are going right now. Considering coronavirus, uh, I would imagine some people are reluctant to go to the doctor at this point in time. How's your practice going? So my practice, like many other, affected profoundly uh, by coronavirus. Uh, the elective surgical cases were basically eliminated for almost three months. We we have a backlog uh, of uh, hundreds of patients that we're 
hoping that we can work through, and we are very diligently uh, yeah. providing care and, and, and helping them through, <clears throat> uh, you know, our practice primarily shoulder, hip, and knee. Uh, many patients have been waiting and waiting, uh, you know, for months yeah. uh, for their joint replacements, and we're doing our best to accommodate them. We're trying to keep out of the hospitals. The hospitals need their resources. Hospitals really are for sick people. Yeah. And uh, the coronavirus numbers are looking much, much better, and our community, thankfully, never got overwhelmed. Uh, but there are sick people that need care. That's what the hospitals uh, are mainly for. And our patients aren't sick. They just have joint problems that need to be addressed, uh, by and large. So uh, we're, we've been affected significantly. I will say that the support for the first responders, the people who have been helping so much in this pandemic, has been incredible. Uh, you know, just like you said, in terms of supporting our local restaurants and businesses, so critical. You know, uh, sometimes people just, uh, you know, show up and hit some pots and pans for a couple of minutes and then go about their merry way while uh, the doctors and nurses and healthcare providers of all types go in and do their best to save people and help people. Right. And other time they really commit themselves. I think this is a time for commitment, uh, but we're getting through it uh, in our practice, and hopefully uh, other people will follow suit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Doctor, I, I will say I'm so grateful for your care. I didn't just show up one day and you replaced my knees. It was we. Uh, I was your patient for several years, and uh, we didn't do anything until you were ready, and when or, or uh, till I was ready, I should say. And uh, I said, you know what? I can't sleep anymore. I'm in just horrible pain. My wife's complaining about the fact I groan all the time. Please help me, please. <laughs> that's at that point. That's when you replace my knees, and I'm just so grateful for the support. That you, and help that you gave me. So thank you for that. Well, thank you, Bob. It, you know, we've, we've had a relationship just like I have with, you know, thousands of people. Uh, I treat everybody the same. Um, we're here to help, and we were both ready. Yeah. You know, and, and it's been very difficult to be ready uh, over the last several years, not just from coronavirus, but, you know, Obamacare and, and government uh, regulations and uh, you know, on and on and on. Yeah. And, and so it's been much more difficult uh, lately than it has uh, previously in terms of providing our best for people, but that's what we do. Yeah. Uh, we uh, work tirelessly to provide services that help people. Right. And, and my line of work, it's, it's fixing joints, you know, so uh, we have a great job because the results are so good yeah. and people on they can enjoy their life and they can not have pain and that's what we work towards every minute of every day again dr george market 4825399 is the number to call dr markovich by the way if you have joint pain uh, get some great uh, great consult from uh, dr markovich 4825399 doctor I want to get your feedback on the, some of the information we're getting on the coronavirus now and as you're pointing out, that healthcare professionals, in spite of whatever risk they might exist, uh, are doing their work, especially the hospitals and uh, the work that you do. But uh, we understand now that apparently uh, 6% of the patients who had coronavirus, who died, died from coronavirus, not just with coronavirus. Most of them had other comorbidities. Uh, any comments and thoughts? Well, I agree wholeheartedly. I think uh, the statistics are very difficult to compile and were confusing and things have been politicized and, and the narrative has been pushed one direction or the other. Yeah. What we've learned uh, from this virus that skipped from an animal to a human host way away from us mm -hmm. is that sick people were more prone to get sick and certain individuals uh, either were completely asymptomatic, almost half really, uh, up to 60%, some people say. They didn't even know they had it. And others were profoundly affected, very few, but it depended on genetics. And I'll lump a race into genetics. Uh, comorbidities, mm -hmm. obesity, uh, you know, things that uh, increase the probability of having any affliction. And so when 
coronavirus came along and, you know, created problems, those other afflictions uh, were significant factors. That being said, we've also learned a lot about seemingly healthy people really being challenged and some of them even losing their lives. This inflammatory response uh, was not well understood at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And ventilator support ended up being uh, counterproductive in in some capacity. Right. And so now we're learning that high-dose steroids and uh, other medications from Desivir and and, uh, several other uh, modalities can can bring those people uh, to back to health, and if things aren't pushed in a bad direction too far. So, you know, we've learned a lot. I think the statistics we'll find out more over time, hopefully, if they're transparent. Yeah. Uh, but what I've learned from all this is that <clears throat> you really have to watch your health. You can't depend on other people, whether it's government or. You know, uh, even doctors, uh, uh, you got to help yourself and then find the right people to help you help yourself. Yeah. And those are the good doctors that really care about what they do. You know, and I think that's great advice. Uh, uh, Slowly but surely, I've come to the point where I realize that, hey, it's my body, it's my health. I got to take care of it and and figure out who who are your best uh, advisors who who you can count on to, to really tr- to uh, really count on the advice that they give you, and that's not unfortunately it's not everybody. And the other thing is do whatever you can to stay out of the hospital because people that can make <laughs> you can get sick and die in there. Exactly right. Yeah, we do a significant percentage of our work in the outpatient setting, mm. uh, and um, we try to keep people out of the hospitals as much as possible. And when we do things in the hospital, we try to get them out of the hospital as quickly and as safely as possible. Because you're absolutely right, whether it's uh, unknown, uh, you know, uh, not mistakes, but, you know, transfusions and uh, tests and this, that, and the other, you know, it's a confusing place. And uh, sometimes, uh, the less exposure to dangerous environments, the better. Absolutely. Well, to, to an earlier point you made uh, that uh, many people are asymptomatic of coronavirus. So we, we know that we have these positive tests, but uh, the probability is high that the number of people that have coronavirus are at least three or four times greater than what we what we understand from the official statistics from CDC and the local health agencies locally. So, I mean, there, there's a possibility of herd immunity. Well, that's what you really want, whether it's polio or, or any other type of uh, epidemic or pandemic situation. <clears throat> you want enough people getting exposed <clears throat> so that that percentage makes it less likely that uh, it can create a, a high viral circulation that's critical to keep finding people to use their machinery to, you know, create problems for them. So <clears throat> I think... 60 to 80% of the population needs to be exposed in order for this to be a non-problem. Yeah. That's what herd immunity is. That's the goal, really, uh, in controlling things on a population basis. Why certain epidemiologists have been reluctant to you know, say that. Epidemiologists tend to be very pessimistic people. Uh, they're not clinicians, by and large. They spend a lot of time in the laboratory. We need more clinic people to drive information out to the public so people can make good decisions. And so, you know, whether it's masks or social distancing or any of this stuff, you know, the science is not hard. It's soft science. And, you know, what makes sense makes sense. But if you're in rural Montana, I don't think you really have to wear a mask very often, you know. And so I think that hopefully the population would have learned some important lessons, uh, and we can move forward from this and, and, and meet the challenges uh, better down, down the road. I think this administration, personally, I'm not a political guy, but has done a superb job uh, trying to limit the damage from this uh, 
illness that yeah. came about from elsewhere. You know, just one of the, there's a lot of uh, unintended consequences of this stuff, but uh, I'm so grateful that our governor has given, you know, the local officials to make decisions, trusting the people to make good decisions about their own health. And the consequences, we're, we're seeing some prob- prob- uh, very positive numbers. I noted here that uh, there's apparently a huge increase, 34% higher people who are looking for divorce. As a kind, you know, that's just one of the statistics coming out of this is that people are spending more time together. Uh, they're finding out that there's a lot of stress, concern about losing jobs, lack of income, kids being at home all the time. You know, that's a very stressful situation, and so it's created stress to the point where people are saying, you know what, we just can't live together anymore. What an inf- that's just one of the unfortunate consequences. So we need to get our society back to work. I think you're absolutely right, whether it's divorce or opioid use or alcoholism or drug use or whatever. uh, Society has been under tremendous stress. And I think from a political standpoint as well, you know, our leaders should be working together to help Mm. our country do better. Mm. And this divisiveness, it makes no sense. You know, I I, I often wonder if, if... there were different people in the House of Representatives, you know, that would see more eye-to-eye with the other branches of government, whether all this stuff would be going on the way it's been. Um, And so, you know, hopefully uh, we'll learn our lessons from a healthcare standpoint. I think it's a pretty good time to have surgery right now, to be honest with you, because I think that uh, a lot of the risks are on the... Uh, on the way out, yeah. and uh, the benefits of uh, bringing people forth so that they could be more productive and be able to walk better and do more uh, are, are you know, really important moving forward. Absolutely. So, um, I, I think that uh, we're going to be fine, but I wish that, you know, certain things were a little bit better to push things in that direction. Absolutely. Again, Dr. George Markovich, my orthopedic surgeon, I just genuinely think you're the best there is, doctor. So I just genuinely appreciate the help that you gave me. If your if your joints are hurting, if you're in any discomfort, get some good advice from Dr. George Markovich. Four eight two five three nine nine four eight two five three nine nine. Doctor, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Bill Barnett, the former mayor of Naples. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. 
And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. I proudly serve on the board, and I hope you'll check them out on the website, thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Mayor Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Bob, it's always a pleasure on Thursday. Yes, it is, and I know that you're out of the, out of town now, up there in uh, beautiful upstate New York. I uh, hope you're enjoying yourself up there, but I know you're paying attention to what's happening down here, the big council meeting yesterday. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they they went they set a new record um, yesterday of 14 hours. Oh, they started at 30 in the morning and they finished somewhere near 10 o'clock, 10:25. Uh, my advisor tells me, um, and um, uh, it was unbelievable because you know, as a fact, Bob, that your the brain can only handle so much. You, you can only sit for so many hours. That's right. You start. You, you know, you just lose it. I mean, I've done for years. Um, try and keep the meetings till, you know, if if you have to run late, six o'clock would be the max, um, and. I mean, that's not to criticize them. I mean, they did it, and um, I, I, um, the big thing yesterday was it took about five hours. They turned down the wounded warriors uh, for that wounded warriors house. You know, they had a little house that uh, has been dragging on now for about a year, trying to get the council to hear it, and they uh, they turned it down seven zero. They had four wounded warriors in it, which was allowed, and they wanted to, to jump it up till six. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, they, the neighborhood showed up. I can't say in force because there was about five speakers, but uh, um, they said, you know, it's a single-family residence and, and uh, shouldn't be doing that. And uh, so council said no. Uh, they they denied the variance. They de- then and another thing that went with it, and I, I have mixed feelings. Uh, candidly, you know, I, I can always look back and say to you, "Well, this is what I would have done." Yeah. But you know what? Th- these are guys that um, man, they fought for us, and and they were wounded. And what what the heck does the neighborhood think that these people are going to do? <laughs> they had a max that could only have three cars in front of the house, which w- there was parking for that. Um, and they were worried that it was going to set precedent and whatever, which is about as far away from anything as possible yeah. that it, it would not set a precedent. So, I, you know, I watched the whole thing, that whole thing yesterday, and then they went on to do all kinds of other stuff. I, it's too numerous for me to get into, but you'll read it in the paper. Yeah, good night. But, you know, uh, Mr. Mayor, just this question I would ask, I mean, how, how you end up talking for five hours and debating and, and discussing something for five hours, and they vote seven to zero? I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, that makes well, no sense. The, the technicalities were there. The staff had had to, the staff is required to make a recommendation based on the zoning, uh-huh. and and um, so I I understood that, um, and I think that sometimes you just have to look at the human element. I understand the residents in River Park, and they don't want their single family uh, homes uh, or or the the structure changed because you know it's but. But I, I, I think you really and truly have to look at the human aspect and, and who is it that was going to be living in there. Yeah. These people, these, these wounded warriors were not going to be out racing on the streets or, uh, or, or having parties at night. There's no alcohol or, or drugs allowed in there. They're on a very strict guideline. And the, pop, the thing is they're allowed to have four in there. And, and as they said at the end, they don't think it's financially it's fiscally uh, possible for them to do it. They have a year lease on the on the house, and um, I just I just feel bad. I understand uh, why council acted, okay, yeah. um, but I, I I think that I would have pushed I would have pushed because of the they are wounded warriors. They fought for us, uh, um, and um, I think I would have pushed the other way. I might have lost six one, but that's just me. Yeah, well, that's so interesting. Have they completed the budget process for uh, for the city? Yes, yeah, 
Yeah, budget budgets. Uh, actually, actually, no, uh, no, they haven't. I think it's October first, or uh, uh, it's actually September twenty. So it's always around the twentieth, twenty fifth of September, um, and they'll finish the budget. But they've had all the budget hearings and everything, so it should be just a matter matter of the military. So uh, we've counted now for five of the fourteen hours that they <laughs> spent in this meeting. Well, what else went on? Well. I, I, I wish I could tell you um, they, they talked about everything from from uh, uh, the beach club to uh, Gulf Shore Boulevard to I mean just uh, parking oh big thing on on they're reviewing all the parking all the the restaurant parking and everything else and they've got a big gung ho plan to to do do these things I mean I tell you what Bob there's a lot of people that are nervous. A lot of people that are nervous. I, I get a lot of phone calls. I get a lot of people. You know, I got an email last night at 10, must have been 10 o'clock. Where is Mayor Bill and Ellen Siegel and uh, Michelle McLeod and, uh, um, you know, when we need them and Reg when, when we need them. Um, and, and I sent a one-liner back, talk to the voters. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I tell you, the, the council under your leadership was just fantastic. I think it was, uh, I, I just hope and pray that we'll get uh, the equal results, even if it takes 14 hours in a meeting to uh, uh, to get good results. You know, there, to your point, though, there's no way that people can survive and really think for 14. You have to put a time limitation on these things, you know, maybe a couple hours or whatever, and understand right. what decisions have to be made and make the decisions. I'm sure well, everybody has a packet of information. They reviewed the information before they get there, right? Here's where the problem is, yes. And, and I know we'll, we'll run out of time. So, um, But here's where the problem is, Bob. When you sit down to do an agenda, okay, the mayor, the mayor sits down to look at the things on the agenda with the city manager because the city manager is going to take some some heat on this also, uh -huh. and you can't jam an agenda like that. Um, you just can't do it. You have to say, look, you you guess, you take a guess at how long each item is going to take, and you can definitely be off on that. But I, I had a feel for that. I mean, after a while, you get that, and so you you look and you say, look, guys, we. I, you can't do any more than this. This will take us up till 5 o'clock, and if you just throw an extra hour in, it'll take us to 6, and you just don't want to be there any any longer than that. Mm. Um, and preferably, you're out of there at 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock. That's the goal. Absolutely. But when you load up an agenda and then you can't, you can't possibly finish it in 99% of the cases, then what happens to that item or to the people? Think about the community that sat there yesterday for 12 hours down there if they had something on the agenda. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. And that's part of the process, isn't it? You have to wait your turn. Well, it is part of the process, and the mayor has to take some uh, some, some heat for that. There, there's uh, Because she really and truly, and I, I don't like to talk, it's not sour grapes for me. Um, I don't like to talk ill about anybody, but... but She's got to get a grip because she's been in, in office a couple of months now, and she's got to have an understanding of what's going on, and she clearly does not. Well, I'll tell you what. One of the things I love about having you on your show right now is you're out of politics. You can say whatever's on your mind. <laughs> I just genuinely yeah. I, I just genuinely yeah. appreciate your commentary here on the show, Mayor Bill. Well, thanks, Bob. I love being on the show. You and I are friends, and we have a good time talking. Absolutely. Well, I hope you and Chris have a wonderful week up in uh, uh, upstate New York, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, and happy Labor Day, Bob. Have a good one yourself, and hit that ball straight. Oh, from your lips to God's ear. Thank you so much, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we have great guests for uh, for tomorrow. We're going to be visiting with William Yateman. He is a uh, senior fellow at the uh, Cato Institute. Always looking forward to talk about current events. Seton Motley, the founding president of Less Government, will be joining us. Sharon Kennedy, the author of Where Should We Eat, will join us, as well as Dave Bigo. He's going to be in Colorado, so he's getting up early to be with us, but he's the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. I hope you enjoyed the show. I certainly did and learned a lot. Uh, I hope you will, uh, any comments that you have, send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, uh, you can, if you'd like to receive the newsletter I send out after each show, you can get on the list. Just get me your email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>
Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.